I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast. The day we've all been waiting for, the Saturday, huge high mountain stage in the Tour de France farm, Avec Swift. It's like the decider. And the race has bubbled along, but honestly, we haven't really had much of a stoush between Vollering and ABV yet and mm-hmm. today we're going to be delivered with, with today we were delivered that in earnest we'll also quickly recap uh Classico San Sebastian which was before this race which finished at like started at half four and finished at 720 which is crazy but yeah big stage Benji um do you reckon they re- was it too backloaded maybe that's a debate for later um but oh. yeah <laughs> Looking at the differences after the stage without spoiling what happened, I think it's good that it's backloaded because otherwise GC might have been uh, might have been washed up already a few days in advance before the final. So I don't have an issue with that. But it's a stage that that shouts, eh? The mythical tourmalet after Aspan's like the run-in climb, but one would expect, okay, can Aspan already deliver action because Von Vleuten might actually launch on Cold Aspan? Or will we see a breakaway with some dangerous riders before Cold Aspan already? But it was a relatively attacking start, but controlled start, I would say. Yeah, because you've got, you do have 50Ks or an hour and 15 minutes of flat before Col d'Aspin, which would take the riders 35 to 40 minutes at 6.5% average. And then, yeah, that valley, there's, there's a pretty long valley before the Tourmalet proper starts because the climb categorization starts bef- when it still falls flat uphill for three, four kilometers at two to three percent it's really the last 13 k's of uh maybe even less 11 k's of tourmalade that are super hard with like it averages nine percent for the last 10 k's it's super hard this side uh from ban no from summary de campan to over 2000 meters so like could movistar like realistically could a team get a rider in in a break get them over aspan to help in that valley benji ahead it seems unlikely because yeah. the sort of rider you're thinking about is like Gutierrez or Majerus. Yeah. It's just not not plausible. Exactly. And we saw that action a bit at the start of the stage with Movistar riders trying to slip in moves and other riders trying to slip in moves. But it was kind of a, a two-women breakaway again before we got to a spam because there's so many riders trying to attack that at a certain point they're like, okay, we've attacked 100 times now. This ain't going to work. And it kind of becomes like a, a pact of, okay, there's now two riders ahead. We're going to just ride a bit in the peloton behind. All the teams kind of trying to keep themselves at the front. It wasn't necessarily one team purely taking it on before that spam, but we hit that spam basically without a breakaway, I would argue, because we saw the peloton storming towards the bottom of that spam. And the team that took it up from the bottom was a team I wasn't necessarily expecting to take it up from the bottom because we saw Pfeiffer Georgie launching the first kilometer of our spam with Labou in the wheel. And I found that extremely curious because I was expecting Labou to be kind of the, the try and attempt to survive in the background of the, of the big riders kind of stage for her. But they showed initiative on the first climb and I wonder, can that bite them towards a later phase? 
who knows sitting in second wheel is probably the same than sitting sitting in in fourth and fifth wheel at that point but i would say that the back of the peloton was definitely wide open riders were dropping but this was the group petro dropping right these were the riders that weren't necessarily expected to be there on the tourmalet yeah when pepper camp was pacing i think she took over from Pfeiffer georgie for a little bit you know it's still a big group and mm -hmm. as you said like the group petto forms i do yeah, I'm sure Luke will be on Gruppetto Cam Watch whilst we're recording this because the time limit's pretty pretty tight. It's yep. 35 minutes, and uh, the Movistar riders, Makai and Norsgaard, got dropped out of the Gruppetto on Aspa. So I was like, that's going to well, be difficult to make it for tomorrow. I mean, it's the TT, doesn't matter. But Did you see riders helped a tiny bit with making sure that during the stage, <laughs> riders could take time on them again? But we'll get to that point of the race. And yeah. We get two kilometers later on that climb. DSM had done their work and we see Movistar at the front. And when Movistar hits the front, my immediate thought process goes towards they're going to try and launch Van Vleuten here. Because usually when Movistar comes to the front, it's not because they're gently going to try and hurt the competitors, you know? It's not like they put a rider at the front and just pace the climb with one or two riders and then the next climb they launch. They're always launching on the climb that they tend to with their riders at the front of and we see that with bionic at the front at the same time we see three movistar riders dropping off the back uh number three four and six of the team i remember the numbers but not the names <laughs> but patini was in the wheel of bionic and we also had in the wheel of that von vleuten with lippert also close by just in case she was needed for that as well but small thing about lippert i swear she was in a small crash earlier in the stage that yeah, she i don't know where knee. it was but that Movistar tempo with Bionic, it's obviously not crazy, but it's enough to keep people dropping. But when Patino started taking over, I was like, okay, this is trying to take over uh, a launch platform for Van Vleuten because that was tempo. And especially when Lipper took over afterwards with five kilometers to go. And Volering was very comfortable in terms yeah. of she was talking to Royce. She didn't even go to Van Vleuten's wheel. She was like, I'm going to just sit here. Um, and so she wasn't even, she was just sitting behind Royce. So she's like, I don't care. Like, you're not going to drop me here. And it's interesting that Movistar went with this plan because, you know, they AV got dropped on Kovadonga. She yeah. was gifted, courtesy of SD Works, a GC lead before this stage. <laughs> she doesn't have to attack. She yeah. does have to drop Kapeki. But... Well there's a 50 second gap between her and Kapeki. You'd think naturally just from an acceleration of the GC group in the final, she can pretty much make that up on the Tourmalet. There's no real need for her with 12 seconds out of Vollering to attack on Cold Aspat well over, it's like an hour and 45 to the finish, maybe nearly two hours to the finish. And SD works, no need Fisher Black, Madras dropped, uh, Chikini Bredevold dropped. Royce is sitting in the group on Aspen. Gapeki defending her yellow jersey. They don't have, apart from Royce later, really, but we never saw it. They don't really have a dedicated domestique to make the climb super hard and launch following. So I think Movistar kind of, they really helped following here. Really, really helped her because, yeah, the inevitable happens. Lippet launches AVV. She attacks. Uh, Cash and Uvido is straight in the wheel. And I was, um, yeah, her climbing last year was well, really, really good, and she looks Nuvidom looks super comfortable. I fully agree there, but the most comfortable rider in that group at that moment was Volring. The way she switched from sixth or fifth position 
all the way to the front. She passed a few riders. She closed a small gap and got to the wheel of basically Nivea Doma and even started riding next to her in the wheel of Van Vleuten. And when I saw that, I was like, Van Vleuten just made an attack to drop these people. She just tried to fully launch with her team to try and drop these riders. And that was the moment where I was like, okay, I don't see Van Vleuten winning this Tour de France one. That was the moment that did it already for me. And we we're only on a span. And maybe SD Works didn't realize that yet based on the situation that follows. But we still see three riders, those three riders, having a bit of a gap there. Now, to come back on your point when it comes to Movistar Snactic, I think there is an argument that they probably thought that if they made the race as hard as possible, that Volring's puncher qualities wouldn't overtake Van Vleuten, but they have to remember also that Volring's a pretty good climber. Like, on well, she big killed, climbs. She killed AVV on Covadonga. So, she, she's not the kind of, like, puncher, like, who, who can I say? A puncher, like, <laughs> okay, I'm not gonna name a name. I'm not, I'm not even gonna not accept the name you just threw into the table. Why? But... <laughs> Multiple climbs based hard. See ya. <laughs> anyway, um, from that point on, there were three riders up the road, those three riders, and it was an interesting dynamic in the group, right? Because we had Von Vleuten pacing the majority of the work, because she was probably still confident she could drop following at that point. Following not doing anything in that group. Uh, Nivyadomi, Nivyadomi, who's that? <laughs> Nivyadoma, pacing every now and then in the group. I think that is because she knew top three competitors behind me. If I help a little bit, then Van Vleuten might keep going and might not stop in the middle of this climb. And that way we can keep it up towards the top and I can keep gaining time on the people behind me. And I think that was actually a good strategy by Nivyadoma doing that. And, and her pulls got progressively longer and more hu and a higher pace. The, the first pull, she rolled through 10 seconds, straight off the front, AVV, you keep pacing. And I guess, like, Volering doesn't have to pull. First of all, my default position is she's going to cook on Tourmalet. So no yeah. need to pull. She's got two teammates, by the way, in the group behind. It's poor old Juliet Labou pacing, <laughs> doing the vast majority of the pacing on Aspin, with Royster in the group, Kapeki in the group, Mulman, Cavalli, Ludwig, and I might have, I don't think I've missed anybody else. So... Yeah. Labu did a lot of time on the front. Uh, Mulman did do some relays. SD works didn't pace at all. They don't have to. They're sitting in both groups in the wheels. It's the second last climb. AVV's got a pace. And I think, as you said, AVV, she said after the race, oh, I didn't expect to drop following there. It was to make the race hard. But you could tell, like, if you looked at the two of them, and it is difficult because AVV always looks uncomfortable. Yeah. But, like, Volering wasn't even breathing. Or yeah. sweating and like she was closing anything in the saddle just like bang spin, spin it up so even the qom sprint we get to the top of aspan the gaps what 30 45 seconds yeah. um it is a pedaling descent mostly it's not the most technical descent and then the, the valley and false flat of tourmalet is quite heavy pedaling stuff but um even in that sprint volering didn't contest it nividoma did and avv kind of looked a bit Meh. And that was almost a mistake from Volering because if you had followed this this race really closely, the wet descent, technical fast descent on stage uh, two or three into the 3k 6% climb, two riders were by far the best descenders. Uh, Lippert and Nuviodoma bridged on the descent to Lippert who was sending it. 
And so Nuvia Dome is a really, really good descender, like well above average. Volaring, mm -hmm. I would say, is fine. AVV maybe a bit below average after all her crashes. And Nuvia Dome just sends the descent, Benji. Um, maybe that was just her pace. But Volaring, I don't know if she could have stayed with Nuvia Dome. I think she could have, but she had AVV in front of her and AVV just let the gap go. I think Nivea Dome was a good descender. Just to let that be clear. A great descender. I don't know if Volaring could have followed that tempo. I don't know if she should have risked following that tempo as well. It's kind of a, a thing as well here. But when it comes to Van Vleuten, she just couldn't follow, like you said. But then the intriguing factor starts. Once the gap is there, who of the two is going to close it? And I feel like Volaring showed some interest to keep on going once she went past Van Vleuten. She tried to keep going for a few corners. In a few corners, Van Vleuten was on her wheel and once the, once the descent kind of started evolving from the technical part to the very not technical straight road part, that's when you get the biggest problem when it comes to cooperation in that, in that second group of two riders. And that was simply with them looking at each other. <laughs> and at a certain point, Van Vleuten started breaking when Volering didn't take over. Who was the, the worst non-cooperator in that Volering. duo, you would say? Which I think is fine as well, because yeah. just behind... Are two trucks, Royster and Kapeki. Yes. She, rulers who can smash this 10k section and the 3% false last section. Why would she pull? Uh, now that the gap's open, there's no need to just relay with the gap open, let your teammates come back. The problem with that was Royster and Kapeki were in no rush to get over there. They were still sitting in the wheels, whilst you remember, like, Labu is like, I don't know, sub 50 kilos. Nivi Dome is also really small. Like, if Royster and Kopecky get on the front and drive it, like they will eat into a, a 30 second gap like it's nothing. Um, yeah. And eventually Royster does. It took a while. And the gap to Nivea Doma was 50 seconds at one point, or maybe 48 seconds, nearly a minute. And I was thinking, geez, like I know normally you have her number, but she showed <laughs> in this race so far a really good level. And yeah. on Aspas, she was doing it easy. Are you, are you comfortable giving her a minute? The answer was no. And, and so I don't think it's too bad from SD Works. The, the rulers came back. Maybe the, the word came down the chain a bit slowly for Royster and Capita yes. to get across there. But, you know, Royster then going on the front to manage the gap, totally fine. Exactly. The, the go-to move at that moment, once the gap started increasing Mani Vildoma, was indeed Kopecky and Royster starting to work behind. It was Royster that did it because Kopecky, they were clearly trying to keep Kopecky defending her yellow jersey throughout this stage. And you saw that on every single climb. Uh, on the first climb, she was already not really looking after Volering, looking after herself there, which for, I, I, I consider that a team strategy and not Kopecky being selfish at that point. Same when it comes to Royster bringing that group back and, and that actually brings them back to Volering and Van Vleuten. And then the gap was 40 seconds once they were caught. And I do think there was a Royster pull with the help of a motorbike for a second that split the group for a bit because Cavalli got dropped. <laughs> at like the bottom, <laughs> the bottom of the tourmalet. And that the first few kilometers of that tourmalet, like the, the first few kilometers, the ones that are not the steep part yet, that's where Royster is so super helpful. Yeah. That's where Royster can really make that dent. And the gap that she made in that Nivea Doma gap was, was huge because she brought it all the way down from 40 all the way down to, I say, eight to five seconds, roughly. Five or less. It was, this is the problem for Nivea Doma. And I think... Like Matilda Reynolds commented on the LRCP yesterday saying, bit of a hot take saying, Nivea Doma will ride conservatively. 
Uh, and she was right because I was like, Cashier, we'll, we'll sit in the wheels. And she went on a, a descent raid and drove the whole Tourmalade <laughs> solo. But she's doing so many more watts than Van Vleuten and Vollering in the wheel of Royce. Like, she's just getting mowed down. And I'm worried that she's going to completely blow up here. And when they zoomed in on her, it looked like she was just trying to hold five watts per kilo, uh, I think, 250 yep. watts. And she was just holding that the whole climb. So she didn't, she wasn't blowing herself up, but it's just tough for her on three, two, you know, two and three percent. But they didn't bring her back before 11 Ks to go. And here's yep. the problem then the steep part starts, and she's now still doing five watts per kilo, but Royce is done. And so that gap goes from five seconds all the way out now with Volring not taking over, Kapeki not taking over to like 45 seconds again. I was like, what is going on? Because that second group, you've got Volring and Kopecky, who Volring's happy with Kopecky being in the group and that yellow jersey being still virtually among the shoulders of Kopecky at that point on the Tourmalet already. And it's really in the other's position to really attack for now at this point in the race. So I do feel like for the first two kilometers, while that gap was expanding to Niviadoma, that we saw the following things. Ludwig pacing a tiny bit, Brad dropping in the meanwhile, but then the gap kind of, well, it explodes again towards that group too because Ludwig goes off the front and then Sprat comes back and you saw that the tempo had these moments of like oh, a tiny bit of movement, but then a long time of waiting because no one really takes over and Labu once again was the one that worked the most, I would argue, yeah, in that easily. G2. Throughout this entire stage, she was pacing all the climbs. <laughs> and I think that's her preferred style, whether that's the best possible style to get the best possible result, I'm not necessarily certain. But Volring was controlling attacks from Labu every second because Labu thought to herself, maybe everybody will look at each other when I go, which worked at Girodon. But in this specific race, it didn't because Volring, she could have ridden 17 tourmalets at this point and she would still be fine when it comes to her fitness level because she looked so good when she was controlling every single move. But if you looked at the back of the group, that yellow canary at the back, Full canary mode. Lotte Kopecky, I love that, by the way. Full on yellow. That's perfect. She was still there. And she kept staying there. But the more those moves by Labu happened, I felt like the more you saw Kopecky kind of shake left and right on the bike. So I think Kopecky was starting to suffer towards, let's say, eight kilometers to go, seven kilometers to go. But that's expected, eh? Yeah, I think Kopecky from the base after Royce pulled off should have just absolutely whacked it and done a lead out for Vollering. Um, that's what I thought the whole time. Mainly because I just wanted to see really what Vollering could do on this climb. <laughs> like the, I wanted to see some of the women's watts records get broken. But Yeah, but I don't think it's necessarily bad what they did instead. Yeah, it's fine. It's, it's fine in the end, of I course. I think it, <laughs> it does say that they weren't necessarily fully confident that Vollering could drop everybody with notable amount of time oh, i think it says the opposite really? i think i uh, yeah yeah i think it says the opposite they were just like it doesn't matter it doesn't matter that never you oh. is at 40 seconds it doesn't matter that a because avv is always going to drop kapeki there's no world in which avv doesn't drop kapeki yeah and so if you're just happy with the status quo and then you're going to ride to the last 2k's 1500 meters and then avv drops kapeki and eats into the 50 second gap and she's going full gas and volering can't gain time then Kopecky's still there. Well, no, now AVV's in yellow. Because yeah. AVV's always dropping Kopecky. In any situation, Kopecky is getting dropped by AVV on this climb. She's never riding to the finish with AVV. And so 
she's going to lose like her GC lead to AVV in any scenario. So it does mean AVV does have to attack at some point, but it means she can attack a lot later. She can attack at, you know, 1500. So what I, they basically just thought, well, it doesn't matter because what ends up happening is, you know, Labu would pace for a bit. Volering just launches at 5Ks to go uh, off the various pacing. And within about one minute, maybe less, you saw <laughs> ADV shook her head, like literally shook her head. Gap opens up and you know the race is over because 5Ks to go, you're getting dropped. Then it's, you know, 2,000 meters, an hour-long climb. See you later. And it's the fog of the fog of war has descended. We're in the fog. <laughs> it's 7 o'clock at night. I love it. On the tourmalay through tunnels. We don't know the time gaps. We can't see any of the riders. And all you know is the spectre of Demi Vollering is flying. And Navi she like appears in the background of a motor shot in the mist behind Navidoma. Terrifying. Exactly. And I do have to hands down congratulate Kopecky for the performance she did on the climb. Yes, I'm Belgian, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like the performance she did on this was something I don't think anyone predicted when it comes to how strong she was climbing, how she was able to follow on these climbs. And definitely based on like what we've seen in the past, she hasn't performed at this level on a climb before. On a long climb, she hasn't done that before. And this does open kind of possibilities for the future, I would argue. Can she win a Tour de France Farm in the future? Who knows if she would have been... Let's say she started today's stage with three minutes ahead. And that is because, for example, in stage one or stage two, they pulled the Kopecky card in the same way you were saying on stage two. When you said, oh, they should try that again. Let's try and copy-paste. Kopecky attacks this group and tries to get another minute or another 40 seconds. Then she actually could have been competitive for the Tour de France fam. Yeah, which, for sure. At that point, if she's two minutes ahead, she's probably going to get chased down a bit more. But I would say that she was really fucking strong here. And I think that what Volring did when it comes to dropping Van Vleuten... That's, that's just the confirmation of, of the torch being given around, eh? Because for so many years, we've had Alimic van Vleuten at the top of the food chain, at the, the apex predator of the women's peloton when it comes to GC. And this is just a new apex predator. Demi Volring is now the crown on top of the peloton when it comes to GC. And it's not even close, eh? And like, I was worried. I was worried before this race. Okay, what if this race is now close? Volring and Alimic, they're closing GC at the end of the race. And afterwards, Van Vleuten retires, for example, because that's what's on the menu at the moment. I was worried, okay, there's not going to be competition. Well, that's the case, but there's currently no competition anyway. Yeah, Volering's the best rider in the world. She's just too good. Like, yeah. what she's done this year is incredible. And to be honest, apart from Royce of this race, she's done a lot of it on her own, frankly. In fact, she's had to be subservient in a lot yep. of stages where she could have taken additional time to the ambitions of others in this race. And 5Ks to go, she finally, you know, unleashed what, what I thought she had. And yeah, she just, it was much more dominant than on Kovodonga. Um, yep. Going past Nuviadoma, dropping Nuviadoma, and then the gaps just are exploding. The gap to Kopecky, the gap between Nuviadoma, Van Vleuten, Mulman, Labu, Kopecky was pretty stable. Yeah. They all sort of kept their gaps to each other stable, but then the gap to Volering just exploded and ended up being 1 minute 58 to Nuviadoma. So Volering did the climb, 
quick maths, at least two and a half minutes quicker than Navi Doma, although she had the benefit of draft for a lot of the time. She puts 234 into Van Vlerten, who parked. She actually only finished yeah. nine seconds ahead of Mulman. Labou only 12 seconds behind Van Vlerten. So the three Van Vlerten, Mulman, Labou all within 12 seconds of each other, very close on a one hour plus climb. Kopecky finishes six on the stage on 332, then a big gap, 524 Santesteban, and then Cavalli and Ludwig together on 543. Bowen find she got dropped early, but she finished on seven minutes in 10th. The revised GC, Vollering basically ends the Tour de France farm. Alex Zwift today moves into the yellow jersey. She already had the nails painted yellow. There's the tell of the confidence. 150 ahead of Nuvia Doma, who's in second. And it could have been more. It could have been more. She did the climb the same time, basically, as Van Vlerten, but yeah. a lot more watts. So, you know, she but you know, she put it on the line, could have won the stage, didn't end up happening. But yeah, Nuvi Doma, really, really impressive. Second to 150, Van Vlerten narrowly in third on 228. Kopecky drops to fourth, but she's only seven seconds off the podium. So she still has the podium in play tomorrow in the TT, uh, but I don't believe that... Uh, I don't believe anyone can overhaul Vollering, but Nivia Doma will be trying to defend second and fourth, second and third, frankly, to the two behind yeah. her, and Van Vleuten will be trying to move up into second and hold off Kopecky. Certainly, the podium fight will be on the menu and will be very, very interesting. I was obviously hoping GC would still be on the on the cards, but that's definitely not the case. Eh? Vollering has won Tour de France Farm, bar any accidents, bar any bad luck, and we don't hope that for a rider like that because she was simply the best in this Tour de France fun when it comes to... She's the best rider in the world. You said it. Let's say that. So she deserves that victory 100%. When it comes to the riders behind her, I honestly reckon that Kopecky could end up on the podium here. I... Her TTs... You can't look at the Belgian National Championships ITT. Like, whoever says, oh, she won the Belgian National Championships ITT a billion times. Sorry, but the competition there just isn't on the level of these other riders. So you got to try and compare some performance at World Championships where she was not necessarily focusing on, focusing on the ITT in the first place. But I reckon it's a, it's a possibility for Kopecky to be on the podium. I think Van Vleuten is likely going to be on there. So I feel like it's between Nivia Doma and Kopecky for the, for the third spot in GC when it comes to this Tour de France Femme. Now, were you disappointed in the climbing of Van Vleuten? Was it worse than you expected? No, I thought I thought Volring would be better after Covadonga. Yeah, that you expected, but was the difference as huge as you expected? Because were you expecting, it for example, been, Von Vleuten to be so close ahead of Mormon? If they had Nee Fisher Black here and Riolini was here, because if Riolini was here, she's got she's got cojones. She's really small, but if Riolini was here and everyone was looking at each other, she would have just started driving it at the base of Tormay, I'll tell you that. Um and I, I, is she injured? I don't know. ELB had to leave the race this morning. She had a skin infection. Um, but yeah. if Riolini or Fisher Black were launching it, I think this gap could have been... Because Volring was doing under threshold for like 45 minutes at the, during this climb. Uh, so, But yeah, it was AVV, to your point, you know, her finishing, what, seven seconds ahead of... Nine seconds ahead of Mormon on this climb? Yeah, probably... Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to look at the watts. Is she worse? Have the others improved? Yeah. To me, it looks like Nivea Doma has improved. Yeah, certainly. Um, I don't know. She said she didn't have her best day in the interview afterwards. So, 
But yeah, it's kind of a continuation of Kovadonga. This is a much longer, yep. harder climb with a difficult climb beforehand. And she she also did all the big effort on Aspan. So she didn't with with Aspan and how she rode that in mind, you know, I'm not surprised that she that she cracked a little bit. Do you see a new uh, a new opponent coming up when Van Vleuten gone? Because Demi Volring is the apex predator now, but who can who can take her out? Because if I look at the other riders in the peloton, yeah, Dialini can climb well, but she's got weaknesses on other terrain, and I feel like Demi Volring is the most complete package by a very very yeah, yeah. long mile. So a very long kilometer. Okay, sorry, I need to stay within the metric system with all you imperial bullshit, but. <laughs> I think there's no one close at the moment. And even with the young talent coming up, Niedermeyer and Barnfine, I'm curious where that will go. But that's nowhere near what Volering is yet. No. I think Elena Ivanchenko, but she's a couple of years away and might need yeah. to... Uh, depends what team she goes to. But yeah, she's, she's someone I think could be there in two, three, four years, but not, not right now. Um, yeah, maybe Nuvia Doma. Like, she's only, what, 28? Like, she's still improving. And you've seen, you know, AVV won every race possible in her late 30s. So could it be Nivea Doma just keeps improving? I mean, Canyon Shram have improved so much this year that if they continue with that rate of improvement and Nivea Doma rides a bit more conservatively, big if, uh, then I don't know. Uh, the biggest threat to me with Vollering is her team, uh, to be honest, because as I said, like, I know I appreciate Kopecky. It's great, you know, close on GC, but... Uh, in the end, the simple answer is you have the best GC rider in the world. Just launch her and just ride for her GC and you win the race by five minutes and you don't need to do any complex things. Um, I would uh, bet they yeah. now know that, though. I think this race confirms that to them 100% after there probably still being some doubt in the team until today. Yeah, but Kopecky will still come next year and want stages. And so will... If they didn't have Royster this year, oh man, Royster was uh, Royster the MVP of that team this this week. Apart from Volering, like well, she is, yeah, she wins tomorrow. It. Well, that's a good question. Let's preview tomorrow's stage. Uh, the the TT second, third, fourth, all up for grabs from Po to Po, twenty three kilometers, a little bit rolly. There is a fourteen hundred meter seven point four percent climb. That's quite difficult, and then flat again, and then there's a final ramp of six hundred meters. 4.6%. It is... How long will it take them? 27 minutes? 30 minutes? Roughly, I would say. I'm going to go with Volering to win the TT and extend her Ooh. gap. Interesting. She's definitely a good time trollist. We've seen that before. Yeah. Whether she can beat Royster, which is the best active individual time trollist in the world, I don't see it. True, Royce is a, yeah, Royce is, ah, I forgot Royce and Marcus, but Marcus' shape looks bad because Marcus smoked her in the, in the yeah. Netherlands Champs TT, but that was 42Ks and I think, I don't know, it must have been reasonably flat because it's in the Netherlands. <laughs> Marcus' shape's not as good. And Volering, so she beat Van Vleuten not by much in that TT. Over 53 minutes or 54 minutes, she beat AVV by... Five, 18 seconds. That's nothing. So it's not like a, I think the longer TT though, 55 minutes suits AVV more. I don't know. You're right. Royce probably is the favorite, but I'm going to go with Volring. I'll stick to my guns. Why not? She's, uh, she's shown today that she's in good form. <laughs> Let's just say that. She could have run 10 more tourmalades and still <laughs> finished with 
with breath left. So that's a hell of a performance. I'm looking forward to the TT, regardless of the fact that GC is gone, as in the podium still on, and I do want to see that fight. But um, yeah, that's kind of it for today's stage. Were there other things we can mention? I don't think so. Well, who do you think? What do you think happens with the podium? What's your final podium? Oh, I think it's I think it's Volring. Should I stick to the the Belgian guns? Volring, Van Vleuten, and Kopecky, I'm going. Going Volring, Kopecky, Nuviadoma. I think ABV falls off the podium. Spicy, but I like it. <laughs> yeah, but it'll be close. It's gonna that's gonna be a really close run thing. Uh, but I can't wait to watch that uh, tomorrow. In terms of the other top ten, you know, Marcus is is in 12th. She'll probably move into the top 10 tomorrow, I dare say, even though she's on 952. Like, she can really put a lot of time into the others. Ludwig against Saint Esteban. I think Labou will stay where she is. And, uh, yeah, I don't really know. Sprat Balfind, I think Balfind will stay where she is, maybe ninth, and Sprat could lose her 10th position to Marcus if she has a good TT. So, uh, but otherwise, yeah, very exciting mountaintop finish. I, I would dare say epic with the fog. A lot of fans out, like, in some of the last bends, it's 7.30 at night on top of the tourmalay in the fog and the fans are lining the bends. It was fantastic to see. A lot of media there. Yeah. Really, really great. Uh, I enjoyed I think, it. I think we need to put fog machines on mountains because it makes it so much more epic. Sorry, but this was <laughs> not, epic. Not being able to see anything. <laughs> not being able to see if the rider that is attacking dropped a rider or not or whether someone will sh come out of the fog 10 meters behind the rider, whether the rider that, well, was it... Uh, was it Labu that was almost catching Molman at a certain point, or Molman almost catching Van Vleuten on the climb? Oh, yeah, Molman behind AV, yeah. And I didn't know which rider was ahead, and then I thought, oh, who's ahead again? Oh, it's that rider? I found that epic. Sorry, but I enjoyed that. <laughs> it was great. Uh, but yeah, stay tuned for a recap of the TT tomorrow, but Volring looking like the winner-elect of this edition of the Tour de France Femme Vague Swift. Uh, but speaking of races, which kind of felt like watching, because we had wall-to-wall -wall coverage of this stage, a race that kind of felt like watching many of the, the women's races, Klaska San Sebastian. Um, today, Remco Evenepoel, world champion and last year's winner on the start list. 231 Ks, very, very difficult. But the Erlites high Iskabel combination, so Remco launched on, launched on Erlites last year, 4Ks, 10.5%. Yeah. Uh, that was moved to 70 Ks from the finish, and they put the Mendoz Roths, uh, 4Ks, 7.3% in between that and the Murgil Tontorra, which is 2.1Ks, 10%, about 9Ks from the finish. So the hardest climb in the race, now 70Ks. Would Remco go there? Would coverage start in time? Because coverage, it started <laughs> at 1500 on Eurosport GCN, but true degenerates know that in these Basque races, the EITB public Basque broadcaster always gets it half an hour earlier. Um and so I was watching half an hour earlier and just as well because one minute before live coverage started, Erlites in the GC group was about to finish and Remco attacked off Van Sevenant and um, Van Sevenant pacing after Healy had attacked. It was like he knew coverage was about to start. Despicable. Um, Not amused. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't see the attack until the replay. <laughs> really? Yeah. Like, I didn't have the Basque broadcaster in my back pocket like oh. you have. So yeah, you got, I did. You gotta know that one trick. That one trick. Podcasters that was a bit busy don't want you to know. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, anyway, Remco goes clear. I'm thinking race over before anyone's even seen anything. Luckily, 
Vlasov, Bilbao, Bessiol, Bridge across him. There had been a breakaway ahead with Van Hoydonk and Bardet and Garcia Cortina. Van Hoydonk and Bardet survive. Group of Bilbao, Vlasov, Bessiol. Anybody else? Join uh, Bardet and Van Hoydonk. Yeah. Group behind is an absolute mess. Garcia Cortina starts attacking the group when he should be pacing for Aaron Baru, the guru. Maybe Van Hoydonk even should be dropping back to pace for Tejpa note because what's yeah. he going to do in this group with Mendes Roth and Murgil Tontora to come? So well, him being in that group was kind of pointless. Whether Van Hoydonk top 10s from that group or Benoit top 10s from the group behind, they, as the max, I believe that Jumbo could really achieve at this race. So yeah. I think at that point you kind of have fun with the really situation matter. you have. Van Hoydonk's in that situation. He's fought for that situation. It's a situation that nobody would have expected before he was in that situation. Him being in that group following, well, not Bardet dropped him a little bit, but he came back with the other riders and so forth. So that was a that was a bloody good performance by Van Hoydonk. And his day wasn't done because like the action continued and I thought, okay, where's the separation gonna come? Because you said it, that Adelaide's attack, that Emco attack, that brought him to that group. It's and a weird attack. After which he said attack. it wasn't planned. It's weird. It maybe he didn't want to throw it all on the line. He wanted to see if he can get a group with him, and maybe that's why he didn't want to go all out. Yeah, like, I think he kind of, actually, in his heart of hearts, on her lights, was like, I should attack here. This is where he dropped everyone last year. Yeah. And on Reduce, drops everybody. Oh, except Pitcock came back and then dropped him later. Oh, um, <laughs> and usually when we see him launch like that, it's with full commitment. And you're right, this one, because it's not just Vlasov got across him, you know, Betty Olin and Bao Bao weren't really in the picture and they came across because uh, yeah he said he was running out of teammates but that wasn't really true either like he had Van Serven on Bajoli there I think they didn't want him to launch 70k's from the finish and in the end it worked out for him because his gut I guess well yeah like the, the others just worked with him yeah. like fully worked with him because in San Sebastian this race is literally like walls steep wall climbs and flat valley. And so the gaps just explode if there's a cooperative group versus a dysfunctional group. So just forget about group two is gone. Uh, apart from Gull and, and Lander trying to bridge on the um on the Mendes Ross climb. And I was then thinking, okay, is Remco gonna drop them on the next climb? Is he gonna drop them on Merkel Tontorra? Is he gonna attack again? Is he gonna attack them on the flat? He he kind of it's weird to say this, but it, it, Remco did look a lot less dominant than previous years in Liège and in this race itself. I would agree. I don't know the numbers, so I can't confirm it that it was 100%. Yeah, but true. I, I think he, I think how I saw that attack, how I saw that move was, okay, he wants to have riders with him in that move. Because if he goes solo from there, yes, he's done it before, but he probably wants more riders with him. Because that also means less teams chasing behind true. in that process. But if you then go further into the race, when he tries to drop riders in that front group, he has the Von Hoydonks of the world drop. The, those riders drop. Bardet drops, for example, who had been in the breakaway already for the majority of the race. But there's other riders, the ones that were bridging that weren't initially with his move. Like, for example, you said it, Vlazov and Bilbao. When, when they couldn't follow, when they could follow Remco on the majority of his accelerations in this race, I was like, ooh. In the Vuelta, that's not supposed to happen. 
or here really like he just smashes people off the wheel on these ramps and uh, it didn't happen now maybe he was you're right does he want to do a two-hour solo with because ef are going to chase full gas behind they got multiple riders yep. Bora will chase bahrain will chase but now he's got them with them and it's just a star uh, uh for astana and then he gives up and movistar and they stop so yeah you may be right i mean bilbao looked really good looked really really good uh, on Mendes Lorotz, he looked really, really good. And then on the descending, he's obviously very, very efficient. He's quite yeah, aerodynamic yeah, yeah. on the flat too. And we get to the Mergil Tontora. Nothing's happened except Berriol's been dropped. Um, and Remco just does his pace. Mashes, 2Ks, 10%. Steeper ramps than that. Vlasov struggling, 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 gone. But Bilbao comes back to the wheel. He's nose-breathing. Bilbao also then surges past Remco. Remco takes personal offense to it, goes back to the front, starts whacking it hard on Mergul Tontora. And then the last 200 meters, the Bass commentators are going crazy. The fans are going crazy. You've got race organizer's dream. World champion, defending champion of this race. Best Basque rider of the moment who just won a Tour de France stage in 5th, 6th in GC on his wheel. And they're glued together on Mergul Tontora. And then Benji... Bilbao, I'm sure... It's, this was weird, right? Because Bilbao, in that Tour de France stage, he played it perfectly, right? He didn't close moves yeah. he didn't have to. He closed the Zimmerman move that he had to. He timed his sprint well. He baited Zimmerman to launch too early. The way he rode this final... Because, like, Remco's sprint is much improved. Bilbao's yeah. got a perf perfectly serviceable flat sprint too. Remco... Goes back to the front at 800 meters to go. Then a flat finish. Vlasov's gone. And I'm like, oh, Remco's fucked up here. He's going to have to lead this out. Because no way Bilbao will come through with less than a K to go. The gap to Vlasov's like a minute. The gap to yep. G3 is three minutes. They don't have to pull. And Bilbao comes through again <laughs> with like 450 meters to go. I didn't get that. When that happened, I was like, okay, this is a lock for the victory. Because... Yeah. When it comes to their sprint, before the sprint started, I thought Everpool's sprint was better, but I think he would lose if he would sprint from the front. And the second that Remco was at the back of the two riders, I was like, okay, this is locked. Remco wins this. Yeah. Because Remco's improvement when it comes to sprint throughout the last two years has been from riding Colbrelli to the line in the European Championships in Italy that one time to now winning these sprints in groups. He's been so much better this year the when it comes Roblich. to his sprint. And his power is higher when it comes to his sprint. And when it comes to Bilbao, he's, yeah, he's solid in larger group sprints, but he's also inconsistent every now and then. But I still believed Bilbao can still win if he's in second wheel. Yeah. And honestly thought whoever is at the front loses this, loses this sprint. Yeah, because like Remco say he is 5% stronger. Well, if you're leading somebody out, at 45 kilometers an hour and then you start your sprint and you've now racked it up to 55 57 kilometers an hour and he's in your draft that's more than five percent benefit i know they still have to come around you but if remco panics and jumps at 250 too early and yeah i was really surprised bill Bow played it like that actually he was quite yeah he rode with remco really generously i, I was surprised but listen credit to him um and in the end remco wins this race but in a very different way winning a two-up sprint with bill Bow, vlasov third on 28 seconds, Paulus broke away from the group behind to come fourth, and Izagira and Shkuan Zarambru crashed to Bagioli Benot. So, Ayuso, he crashed earlier in the week at another 
I think Bass Grace, yeah, like looked really bad actually. He couldn't move his left arm for a bit, and he was here. He struggled. So, yeah, I question the merits of that. Same with Rodriguez. Like seeing Rodriguez here, like he came. Where did he come last year in this race? He was pretty good. He came fifth, but I feel oh. like he was. I feel like he was better than him and Sivakov were actually like relevant in this race deeper. He looked bad today. Like you can see his injuries, his face. So I was surprised those two young guys lined up with, you know, the welter in mind for Ayuso. So, but anyway, Remco wins his third one, tying the record for San Sebastian. He uh, in the all white bibs, all on track. <laughs> He's got the world championships next uh, road race next Sunday. So, but you know, yeah, good. Prep. No white bibs at the world championships. Probably black bibs with the blue shirt with the Belgian shirt. So will Not that true. hinder him winning a one-day race? Because I swear that the ones he won were all with white bibs in the last three ever since he became world champion. Now, does that white bibs benefit stop the second that he becomes non-world champion on the world championship? Who knows? But honestly, at this point, if Remco shows up with white bibs at a race, I'm just terrified. It's like he can ride 100 watts more on a climb. <laughs> it's so terrifying to see him in that side. And it also kind of, I feel like it get it draws more respect if you ride with white bibs with the world champions. You're taking jersey. a risk. You're taking a big risk that there's <laughs> yeah. no rain or or mud on the road or whatever. So, yeah, respect to that. But yeah, um, that was a fine. It was an okay race. Yes, yeah, it, it was fine. Yeah, I agree. It was it, it was a <laughs> fine the, race. Not the best race I've <laughs> seen. Um, the the Tour de France fun was was definitely a, yeah, a better stage today. And and Polonia. Quick word on Polonia. A oh, lot of yeah. rider crashed with eight kilometers to go. I have no clue who won, but I knew that Almeida was Melier finishing won. three minutes later, for example, and some other riders two minutes later, Thomas and so forth. But I recall them changing the times to zero seconds now. So they that's put awesome everyone on the same time. <laughs> yeah, because they were like, everybody crashed, so it's eight kilometers to go. Let's make an eight kilometer rule now. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, the crazy conditions there. But yeah, Merlier wins the sprint ahead of Coy. Gaviria third, Bennett fourth, uh, Valshide fifth. And so, yeah, tomorrow's stage there. So we've got there for GC, uh, Aronsman, Kwiatkowski, Thomas. So Ineos, a pretty strong team. But tomorrow's a very important day with kind of a fake news climb. It's really uh, 4Ks at 7%, but 1.6Ks of them are at 10%. So a punchy finish. How much time will Kwiatkowski, you know, important race for him in good shape, obviously, after winning a tour stage. Will he be able to hang there? Almeida's won this race before. It was his first win. First World Tour win was actually at this race. Uh, Kamner also here, as well as Igita, who's punchy. I think he's done well before in Tour de Pologne, maybe even won a star. I think he beat Berwick when Berwick attacked in front of Carapaz and destroyed him. Maybe is, that your, uh, is that your segue to Berwick? Oh, yeah, I didn't shout him out yesterday. He won a, he won a stage two Alsace. Let's go. On Plonchville Ahead of... Remco's best mountain domestique next year, William Le Cerf, <laughs> ahead of another rider, I think, getting signed, a French guy, 22 minutes into Chris Froome, and Chris Froome said that he was ready to win the Tour de France <laughs> before the Tour. Nah, Berwick actually did good numbers. Yeah. He, did good, he did good numbers. Yeah. If you look, he wasn't that far behind Port's time in the Planche de Belfi TT. So he leaves GC uh, tomorrow's uh, mountain stage, but flat finish, so hopefully he can... Can defend that, my boy. Alrighty, that's all from us. Late, late finish here. Hope you enjoyed it. TT tomorrow, which we'll cover as well as Tour de Polonia. And um, yeah, thanks for listening as always. Demi Vollering, the queen is dead. Jesus Vollering Christ. now on top. Let's go. All right, thanks all.